Welcome to this shifting moment. This is a podcast in which we're seeking a profound shift in the way that we react to things. We do that through weekly discussions and twice weekly readings and responses from some of the great thinkers and spiritual writers. And my name is Richard, and I'm a spiritual coach and a mindfulness teacher with over 20 years of experience in treatment and private practice. And my name is Josh, and I'm an ordained pastor and a writer with a history of directing spiritual communities. We want you to be a part of everything that we do. We look forward to hearing your thoughts and suggestions. Please contact us at 424-341-3860 and follow us on This Shifting Moment on Instagram and Facebook. Well, you know, I think what you and I were, you know, kind of hinting at a little bit earlier is, you know, uh, the way we think about things, you know, and, um, and the way that we hold on to our views and I, you know, and my view is the right view and your view is not the right view or, or whatever creates that. And again, I think one of the things that I don't see happening in our world today is seeing this through a spiritual lens. What would it, what would it even look like to be able to see this through a spiritual lens? You know, and, and for me, I think it's about really looking at the bigger picture and, um, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the spiritual traditions in our world uh, focus on oneness, on, on oneness. And I think there's a lack of oneness in the world today. And I think it, um, and I think, and I think it create it, it creates unwellness. And it, it, it comes from all angles too. It's not like, I mean, the easy low hanging fruit would be kind of like our news cycle, our political situation, all of that is true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think even sneakier is like it, that, that oneness, which, which I would call like unity, right? Like this, mm-hmm. this idea, this wholeness, um, it's so important that we remember that like that's a spiritual principle and it happens inside of our spiritual traditions, inside of our spiritual principles, inside of our practices. A lot of spirituality, modern spirituality points towards like your own individual wholeness, uh, right. which I think everything's a reaction to something. So that means that down the line, there was probably not enough of that. Right. <laughs> and so we swung the pendulum to like, we got to focus on like our individual health and that, okay, that's awesome. But I think now we're experiencing a moment where we really need to begin to swing that pendulum back to what it looks like to do this in community with other people, right. because we are not supposed to be our own like perfect Island. Like we are supposed to be right. You, the, the deficits that you have are purposely there <laughs> because someone else may be able to fill those and you might be able to be in friendship with someone who can fill those deficits for you, right. or you might be able to be in relationship or of service to someone. I mean, all of those things take other people in your life and your, your spirituality really is deeply connected to the other people that are around you. It's about seeing a kin, seeing a kinship, seeing, you know, kindred spirits, you know, um, even though we might have different perspectives on what's going on in, in the current environment, we're, you know, I, I see myself in you and you see yourself in me, you know, and, and I think we, we lose that. And it's like, how can I embrace somebody else's, how can I look at something through somebody else's perspective and maybe 
open myself to seeing what their perspective is, you know, how they've developed that perspective. And, and, and a lot of times what I see happening is that there is, there's a fear going on, a fear that, that um, it's not going to go the way I want it to go. I think there's a lot of um, fear of losing control, fear of not being in control. And, um, and you, you hear that a lot in, in, uh, in some of the spiritual traditions, including 12-step recovery, they talk about that's the one thing, that fear-based thinking is that we, we all have going on, the fear of not being in control. And that fear of not being in control can manifest itself in anger and hostility. They're not, it's not going to go the way I want it to go. And if it doesn't go the way I want it to go, I can't be okay. Um, you know, rather than, rather than coming from a, a place of accepting the truth, you know, and developing a healthy relationship with reality. And, and, and re in, in reality, there are people that are going to have different perspectives than we do. And, and, uh, and it's really what it comes down to is, am I capable of being okay with that? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Am I capable of like not having the level of control and that outcome? And that mm -hmm. outcome thing is super, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts about that, like that idea of it might not look well, like I want, right? Because <laughs> right. I think that really is the the key there is that a lot of times we're what we're striving for, what we're setting goals for, what our quote unquote life's work can look like is, well, I have this outcome, this goal that I set and it has to come to fruition. Otherwise, my life is a failure <laughs> and I haven't or, done what I need. And, and, or and, I can't be okay. Or I can't you know, be okay. So, yeah. so basically what we've done with is we've attached our we've attached our own well-being mm. to an outcome. Right. And what we've done in that process is we separated like the best parts of ourselves and somehow we put those in a box and we say, well, only when I get to that space will I open the best parts of myself. I I've struggled with this a lot, like just in terms of um like professionally, I'm not in a space where I was, you know, like three or four years ago. And when I think about that, I'm always thinking like in my week or whatever, like I'll, I'll write, I'd still keep notes and journal and do all that stuff. And it's all because like, I'm putting this away for like, you know, some book or, or some <laughs> sermon down the line or something, you know, something when I get there, when I finally have the mic, I will do this, which is so funny because I'm like podcasting right now. Right. I mean, so the new, yeah, the new version of that is, um, how do I, how do I integrate all of this like now because it's not going to magically happen if quote unquote what I want in life you know comes to fruition and I think that's just like I used to think of the words like conversion or transformation or um, even just like epiphany like a spiritual moment like one of those mountaintop moments is being like um, well now everything everything makes sense everything looks exactly as it should I've now transitioned to something new when in fact, I think like transformation and, and conversion and even epiphany, all of these things happen like inside your real current life right yeah, here, right it, now. It's a, it's an eye it's, opening it's, to yeah. like what you're already standing in and going, it's oh. an, it's an interior <laughs> shift. It's not an ex, it's not about the outside stuff being different. It's about our seeing the outside stuff differently, you know, and looking at it through a different lens. You know, and and I think a lot of the struggles that we have going on in the world today is, you know, the people are 
they're attached to their ideas of things. And, and so we, we have this perspective that I can't be okay until this happens, you know, or I can't be okay until this happens. And I think a lot of our stress is waiting for that conditioned to be just right in order for us to be able to be okay. Yeah. Well, that's, now here comes the Bible story, <laughs> but that's, uh, that's exactly what, like when, when Jesus talks about this word salvation, there's no Hebrew word for salvation. There's no Greek word for salvation. There is a Greek word for salvation, but there's no like term that we would use in English. What would, and what we mean when we say salvation is like, I've been saved from something, right? Like I, I'm now saved or whatever. And then a lot of times in, in Christian theology, that manifests into like, well, there's a heaven and that place is not here. And so I'll save all the good parts of myself for something else over there. And when Jesus talks about like salvation, the only time he really uses that word is when he's talking to this guy named Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, kind of a dirty dude, <laughs> one of the worst people available at that time. Um, and he's in his house and Zacchaeus, because Jesus is around him, he's come into proximity with something larger than himself with like a bigger idea with something divine right and he's sitting across from it and in that moment he has this moment of like awakening this moment of clarity and he says to jesus he says you know what i'm gonna do after this dinner i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna go pay back all the money that i stole from people and after that if there's still money that's owed and someone comes to me and says i still i'm gonna pay it back like double right and that's Zacchaeus' line to Jesus. And Jesus literally says out loud, oh, wow, like salvation has now come to this house. And what he means is like, look, everyone, Zacchaeus woke up, <laughs> right? It wasn't about like, oh, now that Jesus is in my home, like I'm going to have, you know, the accolades and I'm going to, everything's going to be fine from this point forward. No, it's going to be really difficult. He's about to go pay everyone that he ripped off back and he's going to have to do that twofold in some cases. But what Jesus is pointing to in that moment to say, like, this is this is what salvation looks like is someone who's like willing to take responsibility for what's going on in their life right now, not later on, <laughs> but to say, like, oh, wow, like, yes, you get it. It's about like serving others. It's about getting into action. It's about like really moving forward. And I think, you know, that, again, that's that's the key is giving up control, right? Saying like, oh, OK, this I see <laughs> for me to actually live a good life. I have to do it in a good way. Like, like I have to live in a good way for it to be I a really, good life. I really like that idea of taking responsibility, you know I mean? And again, I think in, in, you know, what a great story that is, you know, and I think it, it really translates well to what we have going on in the world today because there's a lot of people in the world today that are kind of gravitating to anger and stress and, and hostility and division and I'm right and you're not, all that kind of stuff. And so I think it's really important for us to take responsibility to the way, uh, for the way that we've, we're feeling today. If we're feeling stress, if we're feeling anger, nobody can make you angry. You're, you have responsibility for your anger. You know, whatever is causing you pain is you've allowed it to. Yeah. Well, and unfortunately, you know, and I mean, I think a that's... lot of people, a lot of people don't like to hear that. And I talk about that a lot in my, well, wait a second, but they did this. And if they would, if they didn't, but nobody can make you feel a certain way unless you allow that in. Right. 
Well, and I think the word responsibility and the idea of responsibility really comes up here because that's something that we as a culture look at. Like a responsibility is something that I choose. And if I don't want that responsibility, I'm not dealing with it. Like there's no way I'm taking it on. And the, the real truth of life is like outside of America and the West, like a responsibility is something that is shoved upon you and you just deal with it. <laughs> That's yeah. it's yeah. now yours. Like, like, okay, this, this, and I think we struggle a lot as a culture with that because there's a lot of like victim mindset and a lot of blame going on when something yep. happens to us. We want and to point the finger. I would okay. So I need them to fix it. They did it to me, so they, they have were, to fix it, right? If they were if they were different, I would be okay. Yeah, and I love this because it's super uncomfortable. There's no clean it's answer here. So uncomfortable because and a, it's not right, and it's not really about taking sides, it, right. Because I mean, it, I mean, I don't, and that's what I think is so important here because we will we go around and we point the finger at this. They're doing not the right thing or they're being oppressive or they're uh, being judgmental or, and, and again, you know, that's, we're allowing, we're allowing things to get under our skin. We can have a voice. Um, but I think it's important for us to have a responsible voice, something that comes from a place of groundedness because nobody, the, the, the thing about it is, is when we go out there and we raise our voice and we start pointing the finger at us who who really at, at somebody else who really listens yeah right I, i'll tell I, you i don't know if, if there know are people listening there are people that have already thought the exact same way that you do yeah. <laughs> and you're not changing anybody's mind all you're doing really? is rallying like the other people who are just as angry as you are <laughs> I, and i'm yeah and i'm not saying that we can't go out and have an opinion and 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 verbalize what our beliefs are and kind of explain them in a logical way but expecting that people automatically jump on board is not is unrealistic we can go out and have our opinion and we can talk from the pulpit or the the speaker or you know advocate for what we believe in but it's really important to not characterize it from a place of anger and hostility because you actually people are not listening. Well, I mean, and we're right on the other side of like MLK and like that, that weekend um, was just a couple weekends ago. And, uh, and I've been thinking ever since that weekend, like uh, there's a lot of stuff that pops up on social media during that weekend because, you know, people are celebrating it or they're voicing their opinion about it. And one of the most shocking things that I uncovered in that weekend was I, I knew that Emma, Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, approval rating in his time was bad, right? Like I'd heard that statistic. I didn't realize how bad it was. <laughs> like when he came out against the war in Vietnam, it took such a hit to his entire, like his entire enterprise, which was functioning really well at that point. Money was going well for them. Everything was going great. They were making a lot of ground, but it can like the war in Vietnam was so bad. It compelled him to go, no, like suffering anywhere, suffering everywhere. And we have to get involved in this. And he did. And it shot his approval rating. Like, I think it was like 80% of people were against him at that point. This has got 20% of what he originally had. Uh, and I think that's such a perfect example of like now, you know, the same person that would probably vote the same way, like <laughs> as the person who was like 80 percent against him is posting these beautiful remarks about this human being going like, what a champion of our, you know, of I our know, system and human it? rights. And it's like, yeah, if he, if you need to look around right now and identify 
the Martin Luther Kings that are standing right in front of you. Like, because exactly. there are so many. And and, and, and embrace those ideas right. and those concepts. Right. Um, because those ideas and concepts are not just about war. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're about living. Right. I mean, he was an advocate for peace. Yeah. And understanding. It. And yeah. he he was not angry at the people that disagreed with him. Right. That's the one thing about Martin Luther King that I've read over and over mm. and over again in the wisdom traditions. He did not he was not angry mm -hmm. for the most part at people who disagreed with him. Which is, which I, you know, it, there's one was, thing you could take from the dude, like, like, listen up, because that's huge. Like, that's gigantic. I, and that's one thing that I think that we're doing a lot of today that I think is, it, it's really, that is not what this, I don't believe that this country was built on. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that, you know, certainly we've had our, our moments in time where there was great division and the abolishment of slavery and so forth. And so on, but um, those times, you know, uh, are we had to have somebody come into our world that kind of allowed us to reframe mm. uh, what was going on there. Yeah, and it and took I, it took. Look, we're talking about this right now, and there's the work is hardly done in that in that sphere and mm -hmm. in that spectrum with like race division and all that, and in the country that we live in. And I think that that's a that's a huge thing to note is that. Like often <laughs> to take a real stand does not often come with like, oh, well, now you get like a great job afterwards and we're going to put you all over the place and you're going to have book deals. And and I think there is a little bit of like a um, there's a for people who tend to like kind of want to be prophetic and want to have these big ideas and speak out like <laughs> you'll often see, too, that like a lot of times that that comes with like a little a little bonus package, which is that you get followers on Instagram or you get that, but like true, yeah. true, true, true prophetic yep. voice in the wilderness, stuff like that is stuff that ruffles everyone's feathers to the point that like, we don't know what to do with the person. It's funny <laughs> so because, they, um, yeah. Martin, Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Um, he, one of the things that, um, motivated him to do the work that he did was Henry David Thoreau's, mm. um, speech about civil disobedience. Yeah. Yeah, I'll talk and, about it because I love this. Yeah. And um and that speech that Henry David Thoreau did in his hometown, a small town on the East Coast, was not popular. There, and I, his 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 idea of civil civil disobedience was spending one night in jail. Hmm. And he had to really realize that he took a it was really just about taking a stand. It wasn't coming from a place of violence. It wasn't mm. coming from a place of division, but he was willing to have himself incarcerated for something that he believed in yeah. and, and he, he wrote about it and talked about it extensively. And, and that, um, that work of his translated itself into the hands of Gandhi and, and Martin Luther King Jr. And it, um, it, it really has been reflected in the Bhagavad Gita, the mm. Hindu, mm. um, uh, scriptures. And, um, if I'm no, remembering that's it. that correctly, no, that's right. Yep, yeah. That's it. And, um, and so, so it's when we look at what's going on in the world today, um, it's we're kind of far removed from that. To be yeah. honest with you, yeah. At least oh, it seems that way to me. I think we're radically removed from that. But I think mm -hmm. what's what's telling about, I mean, both the Martin Luther King Jr. and Thoreau is that both of them in their time like weren't revered as they are today. Like no. Thoreau was 
this is, I was just talking with Richard about this, one of our favorite books that I'm currently reading and Richard's uh, read it before, but uh, what's it? It's called um, The Greatest. Uh, the, the, the Work of Your Life. The Work of Your Life. Yep. Stephen Cope. And he, he tells these stories in there, both Martin Luther King and uh, Thoreau, which are incredible. But the, the, the big news for me in that was that Thoreau, I have... I've studied like the transcendentalist movement. It's my grandparents have a place in Vermont that I used to grew up going to. And so I would always hear about this weird little kind of funky hippiedom that, that existed in that world and in that very uptight waspy world that my grandparents are a part of. It was just fascinating to me that there were also like these poets that lived up there and these thinkers like Emerson and Thoreau. But I always looked at them and thought like, these must've been these like spiritual giants of their time, you know, and, and reading the thing about Thoreau, Walden Pond was like a shitty pond. Like it was, it was just a was pond like, out there. It, it wasn't was glamorous mile, at no, all. It was, it was yeah. a mile and a half from his backyard where his mom, and this is the craziest part, his mom would come over to the pond where he was quote unquote living in isolation and deliver cookies and sandwiches every day. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so here's a guy eating his mom's cookies and sandwiches living off of nothing. Cause he's like kind of a failure at that point, quote unquote, writing about civil disobedience and, and writing Walden and these important writings that are going to shape history. And he's mm-hmm. doing that a mile and a half from home. And one of my favorite lines that he says is he would rather walk to Rutland, Vermont, then walk to Jerusalem. And that like, like in terms of a pilgrimage, like I would rather pilgrimage to Rutland, Vermont than I would to Jerusalem. Just saying like, it's not about the glitzy glamorous location. Big, or the, it, yeah. yeah. Big thing or, and that's why I think what we're living in today is really, really powerful. I mean, this is a chance I think to, for people to shift perspective on, and on, Am I am I engaging in a way that has integrity for me? You know, am, you know, am I living my true self or am I just following somebody else's ideas? Am I am I really owning what I believe in? Have I really thought it through? Am am I really is my behavior in line with with who I want to be? And I think that's what that book talks about is like following our dharma and you know, I think, you know, one of the things that Josh and I talk a lot about, too, is, you know, everybody wants to live a life that feels purposeful, you know, like there's meaning and that there's some, uh, you know, sensibility. And I think what a great time to live in that and stop and take a look at how am I engaging with people that might have opposing opinions? What what, what am I how am I responding? How, how am I you know, when I think there's a there's a cynicism that happens in our time that feels like if I just, you know, ruffle some feathers, I'm actually doing something. Um, But ruffling feathers isn't necessarily doing anything. It depends on whether the intention is constructive or destructive. And I, and I think a lot of times it has a tendency to be destructive. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really important for us to pay attention to that. Totally. And I mean, destructive builds, crowds right and i mm-hmm. think that's that's why that tends people to be come, the louder people, voice yeah i want to yeah, watch a, a car voice. wreck like i, I want to yeah. watch something get blown apart like i, I mean, love we, nothing we, more we, than watching a wrecking we, ball take down a height yeah, like a skyscraper we, oh. we live in we live in a world where our attention is hmm. is you know is glued to the the car races right and the murders and the and the video games that are you know high energy yeah. and violent 
explosions and all that kind of stuff. But is that really? I mean, what is what is? No, I mean, so we so we yeah. wind up looking at we wind up looking for the same thing in our lives. Yeah, we want we want the car wreck. I and I, I mean, what the opposite of that is so true too. Like there's. There's a new construction project right around the corner from where we live. And I don't drive past that going like, wow, I can't believe they put up like a fourth wall today. <laughs> like I don't drive home and tell my wife, like, you'll never believe I saw them. They were putting this like new fresh paint of coat, like mm-hmm. coat of paint on this new, like th- we don't have those same conversations around constructive things because yeah. they're slow, <laughs> because they're boring, but we all want to live in the constructed house. I think that's, right. that's the, the key there is that like anything constructive in your life it doesn't have the same potentiality to be flashy and sexy like deconstruction does or like, mm-hmm. like, like in all honesty. And I think this is like an addiction thing too. why a lot of us keep going back to the same patterns. Why I went back to the same well for so long is because sometimes purpose and explosion can look too similar. <laughs> like we right. think we're deep in purpose when we're in a detox and we're thinking about our life and we're having these existential moments, but like really you don't need 20 of those in your life. You need like no. maybe one. Hopefully you don't even have to get there. But the point is like, that's not, that's not the goods of life. The goods of life is found in the, the slowness and that repetitive, like I'm building something and I'm building it and it might not look that exciting, but I promise you I'm building something. Right. <laughs> that's a it's huge, like we, we will drive by the construction project that's next door and we'll go, Aren't they done yet? I, that's oh the how, biggest how, thing, right? Like how I how believe, annoying this is! I cannot believe how slow this is, right? And I think that's <laughs> we, it's it's so funny. Looking, but yeah, you're looking it, at like a a picture perfect like snapshot of why our culture is so obsessed with like like speed and because every building project starts with an estimate of this will take this long and what's the com like the, the biggest joke in the world is that like oh it took double the time but it always should have taken that time right <laughs> like, you know, but we it, just can't stand to think that we might be giving up a chunk of our lives to watch something right built or it or might grow. be or it might be a moment of inconvenience yeah it might be difficult for that i man there's something so true i've uh I think this is a meme that I saw as I was scrolling through, but um, it was talking about early sobriety and it was saying, I'm in that transitional period where I'm not quite there, but I'm not where I was. And it's super uncomfortable. And that was the whole thing. And I was like, that describes that period of wilderness in your life, right? Which is what in the spiritual traditions we would call wilderness, which is like, it's this wild portion of your life that no one can quite define everyone's wondering when you'll get out of it. You're wondering when you'll get out of it, but that's where the real work is done. And it's, it's in that inconvenient messiness that you actually mm-hmm. experience real deal transformation and real deal stuff. Like it, it really yeah. is. Cause that's what, cause it, th- that messiness and that's where the transformation happens. We can't, yeah. we can't have a transformation unless we have something that we're transforming from and mm. into. Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, and I think that that takes like, grit and resilience it, and it does and i think yeah. the world that we live in today is is really a chance for us to, you know where can we change how we're mm. embracing it where where is the opportunity for us to change us yeah in the conditions that we're living in right how can i change me in the conditions that i'm facing mm. Mm. Uh, and and that's that's the, the the work I said because because anger is not changing anything. Yeah. Anger is just you. T- basically, to me, anger is kind of ego. 
That's it's it. Like, it's kind of it. like, look at me. Yeah. And to me, I think a lot of times anger can be a reflection of not having a really strong sense of self. Yeah. Uh, so I dig my heels in. Right. And I get, you know, I, I create a noise, I create a stink or I create attention, you know, and mm. I think it's, you know, because I, a lot of times people build their sense of self based on getting other people's attention. That's it. No, that's exactly right. And and what gets other people's attention is usually the loud, crazy, yeah, <laughs> the, the stuff squeaky that's wheel. Exactly. And, yeah, and so, I want to have, have yeah. some drama. I'm creating some drama. And, right. but it doesn't, you know, that drama sometimes isn't really what comes from our own integrity. It doesn't really come from the heart. No, it, it's, you know, it's just a response that we're conditioned, mm. you know, to have based on, you know, the social media, TV, movies, books, we read, video game, all that kind of stuff. We, we have gravitated to this the big is better. You know, yes, uh, yes. noisier. I'll be louder. Yep, I'll be louder than this person, and then that, and, and that's unfortunately why so many good things take such a big hit because mm-hmm. there's always one loud asshole. <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. I, I'm speaking for my own tradition in that. I think that like my uh, my evangelical American church upbringing is the key example right now in culture mm-hmm. of just like like the whiniest, loudest people <laughs> are really ruining it for the vast majority. Because it, when you, when you look at like, it, when you look at that tradition on paper, as opposed to looking at it on Instagram, <laughs> you're going to see two wildly different things. But I think that's just right. true with like, with, with all of us in, in everything right now, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's find those, those low and slow voices, the ones that are consistent, the ones that are always coming back to the same truths. Those are the things that are going to change you. Um, right. Not the loud, you know, crazy Instagram panic story. <laughs> and, no, and, yeah. Yeah. and Henry David Thoreau is a perfect example of that because he was a miserable failure for uh, many years in his life. And so was Gandhi. And, you know, a lot of the great men and women have struggled. And um, it's about how they embrace that struggle. The kind of attitude that they brought. They were, they, they were, a role model in their struggle. I mean, Thoreau was a, a fairly quiet voice. He just, you know, he spoke from the heart and people, people heard that he had wisdom um, and he'd learned to, um, he'd learned to look at things uh, from a perspective that was, um, that people found interesting and curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'd also say about that wisdom piece, like, I think we also live in a culture where we equate the best thing has the most amount of followers or the best thing has the biggest crowd or the best thing is the biggest thing it could be when wisdom really doesn't work like that almost at all. And, and I think that's the really, <laughs> that's the, it's a really key thing to get for this time because wisdom is something you could encounter in like a seven-year-old child and be completely right. blown away. You know, <laughs> it's, it's not biased towards like, someone's charisma or or you know how many followers they have or any of that in fact what i would say is like a lot of those people are very good at being like showy showman whatever and that's there's a there's a real skill in that and that's awesome and it's a it's a lot of fun to go out and see sometimes right but what i always try and do is if i really like someone like that 
I'm always trying to look at the footnotes. I'm always trying to look at the bibliography. Do they, do they have other people that they're reading that they're pulling the right. stuff from? And usually when you find those people behind that person, it's yeah, that's the gold. <laughs> that's where you go. Oh, and it's usually someone that you're like, I've never heard of this author. And you read the book and you go, oh, how have I never heard I of know. this person? That's, that's yeah. what I do a lot. Yeah. I look at the back cover and I find yeah. out who's put their name on right on stuff you know and and not only that but not to put their name on but what do they say about it and it does it feel genuine 